Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 37 of the IT Career Energizer, a weekly podcast where I chat with inspiring IT professionals, consultants, and experts from around the world. To find out more about the podcast, visit itcareerenergizer.com. And don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes automatically downloaded to your device. And now let's chat with today's featured guest, Ted Neward. Ted is an industry professional with over 20 years experience. He speaks at conferences all over the world and writes regularly for a variety of publications across the Java, .NET, and other ecosystems. He currently resides in the Pacific Northwest with his wife, two sons, dog, four cats, eight laptops, seven tablets, nine phones, and a rather large utility bill. So Ted, can I ask you to expand on that brief introduction and tell us a little bit more about yourself? Um, yeah, basically, um, I'm... I'm a geek. Uh, I spend a lot of time talking about, reading about, uh, thinking about technology. Uh, somebody asked me to sum up my career in two words, and I said computational philosopher. And, um, you know, the, uh, um, the, largest, the largest time uh, that I'm spending right now, largest amount of time that I'm spending right now is actually in the world of management. I actually took a position as a director of uh, developer relations with a $850 million startup called Smartsheet. And so I'm building out a team of uh, DevRel guys there to go out and talk to people about software development in general and software development with Smartsheet in particular. I don't know a lot about Smartsheet myself. Could you give us a bit of a, an understanding of what that is? So if you've ever been in a project where people have kept track of tasks by emailing Excel spreadsheets around to one another, that's exactly the kind of problem that Smartsheet is designed to solve. It's a spreadsheet metaphor for its user interface, but it's really about doing collaborative types of, of you know, project management, for lack of a better term. Imagine Excel meets SharePoint meets project and the child they have is actually something you'd want to use. And you've basically got Smartsheet. Okay. Can you share a unique career tip that the IT career energizer audience need to know and probably don't? Well, specifically, if you are if you're new to the IT industry, you're probably thinking that a lot of what we do has to do with math and science and, you know, all these really deep, rich algorithms and so forth. And the truth of it is that we deal a lot more with psychology and philosophy than we do with actual hard science. Number one, because a lot of what we do deals with people, and people are governed far more by psychology and philosophy than they are any particular algorithm. So being able to understand people and where they're coming from, whether they're your colleagues, whether they're your customers, whether it's your management, understanding them, having a degree of, of empathy, sympathy, compassion, whatever words you want to use here, but being able to put yourself in their shoes, sort of get inside their head, that's that's a skill that will serve you far far better than knowledge of big o notation ever will 
Um, and the other thing is simply that, uh, you know, you do not need to be, uh, you do not need to be an expert in all things that in many cases, people, uh, people will respond, people will react to the human parts of your story far more than they will your, you know, cold hearted expertise around the thing. It's perfectly acceptable to stand up in front of a group and say, I don't know about that. And some of the best technologists that I've run into, including Bjarne Strustrup, the guy who invented the C++ programming language, one of the things he told me, we were doing an interview much like this one, uh, but it was a face-to-face -face interview for Pearson back in the early days of podcasting. And uh, he told me that the more you know, the more you know you don't know. The deeper you go down this rabbit hole, the more you will find things that you just simply have no clue about. And Strustrup, I mean, this is a guy who who makes bigger contributions to our industry in a day than I will in my entire life. And if he can sit there and unabashedly say, yeah, I know C++ and I don't really know anything else, it, there's absolutely no call for any of us to try to stand up here and pretend like we're experts on everything. We're, we're just not. Just don't even try. Don't even go down that path. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I, I think... Um knowing or understanding where you fit in terms of where you, where your expertise are is, is essential. Mm -hmm. Well, I think this is where, uh, this is where I'm going to channel a lot of my uh, liberal arts training. And I'm going to say, this is where, you know, having a grounding in philosophy is helpful because a large part of what philosophy is, it's about asking questions. It's about, you know, looking at the situation you're in and about being able to say, okay, what do I know? And how do I know it? And how do I know that what I know is in fact accurate? I mean, if you think about it, that's exactly what we do when we're debugging, right? We're literally sitting there and asking the machine, okay, what do I know at this particular point in the code? What does the value of this variable hold? What is the, you know, what is the expected result? And this is where you start getting into some of the human parts of it. How do I know that the answer on this line of code is actually supposed to be 12 and the customer said it's supposed to be six? Who's right? How do we know who's right? I mean, there have been several cases where I've debugged code only to find out that it was behaving as expected, as requested by the customer which is like, wait, no, that's, that's, that's actually a wrong answer. But if the customer says it's the right answer, doesn't that make it the right answer? It, you know, there's, there's a lot of things here that simply don't fall into the very cut and dried uh, computer science. It's either right or it's wrong. That is often taught at our universities. And if you don't have a CS degree, in fact, you come from more of a liberal arts background, you know, another uh, a friend of mine who works at Microsoft was actually the principal developer on Visual Studio Code. His degree is actually in jazz guitar. I mean, you do not need to be a computer scientist in order to be successful in this industry. And there are a large number of people who are actually coming to the conclusion that having a CS degree might not help you. That in fact, those who don't have CS degrees in some cases can be the most successful people in the industry. But, you know, don't don't take that too literally from me because I don't have a CS degree either, so. Okay. Can you tell us maybe about your worst IT career moment and what you learned from that experience? My worst IT career moment? Oh, there are so many to choose from. Um, oh, there can only be one worst. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, in some respects... Um, 
in some respects, I guess it depends on how you measure the worst. See, here's the philosopher in me coming out saying, well, how do we measure words? What do we know what the worst is? How do we, how do we deal with that? Um, because truthfully, for a lot of people, the, you know, the worst moment would be the time of your biggest failure. But in many respects, every failure that I've had has taught me something in some way, shape, or form. So I wouldn't give them up. So in that sense, they're not really the worst because the worst, you know, by definition is like, you know, there's, there's little to nothing redeemable from it. Um, I, I think from a programming perspective, there was the time I was working for a company, a small company just outside of Sacramento, uh, where I was living at the time. And, uh, they had a, um, they had a logging system, a diagnostic logging system. And this was 1996 timeframe. So this was long before we had, you know, all of the various open source libraries that we have now across every, every programming language platform, you know, across the spectrum. And I was actually trying to build one for them because what they had was really kind of clunky. I mean, they, they were using it everywhere and it was working for what they were doing. But I mean, all it was doing was writing to a file. And, and, you know, it was like, oh, there's so many other places that you could log to. You could log to a window so that the developers could actually see what was being logged while they were working on the code. You could log to a socket so that people could connect to it remotely and watch what was happening. All kinds of possibilities here. So I built a fairly extensive logging system for them. And as it turns out, my logging system was great. It was horribly over-engineered. They never actually wanted to log anywhere except a file. And uh, it had one major flaw, which is to say that uh, this was on Windows. And when you used the C++ library for doing file writes on Windows, it locked the file both a read lock and a write lock, which meant that you couldn't tail the file while the program was running, you had to actually quit it in order to get all of the writes. And so as a result, my logging system was completely unusable. I mean, not only did they not use all of the features that I, you know, levered in, they couldn't use it for what they had originally intended to do. And I found out from a buddy of mine who was there after I left that I think I was gone maybe a month before the CTO at the company just completely ripped out all that I had done there and replaced it with the original system. Because, I mean, I what I built was, you know, technically amazing and from a customer perspective, a complete mess. It was a complete whiff. And so that's probably the biggest failure uh, but again, lesson learned, right? Build what the customer wants, not necessarily what you think the customer needs. Yes, absolutely. So going on from your worst IT career moment, can you talk about maybe your IT career highlight? Oh, you know, honestly, that's not really a singular thing. Um, one of the things, it's an ongoing thing because there are a number of people that I'm working with uh, not just the people that I'm you know, officially employed with, but a number of folks out in the industry as well, that I'm sort of mentoring in terms of their speaking careers. And so it's a, it's a stitch. I mean, it's an, it's an awesome little bit of you know, private celebration when I see some of the people that I'm mentoring stand up and deliver a talk at a session. And, and it's amazing. And they just knock it out of the park and you're like, yeah, yeah, cool. You know, there's that moment where, you know, as, as, as the teacher, you, 
you know, you not only you're, you're not only a little saddened by, but you're incredibly excited by those moments when the student surpasses the teacher, and you're like, "Wow, that's really cool. I like what you did there. That's awesome." Um, and you know, in in many respects, I mean, I know again, the 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 question is kind of geared towards what's that point in your career, you know, when you wrote some code that everybody found exciting, blah blah blah. But to me, the big wins now come from making other people successful as opposed to, you know, celebrating a personal win for myself. Because, you know, I've been doing this now for almost 25 years. You know, there's a lot of cases where I've done stuff that was cool and I've done stuff that was crap. And, you know, the novelty of that has worn off. But the novelty of making somebody else better, that's still, that's awesome. I mean, that maybe that's just the teacher in my blood, but... That's that's the part where I just get really excited. So what excites you about the future of the IT industry and careers in IT? Um, what excites me? Well, honestly, I mean, in some respects, as a career, you know, this is one of those things that for the foreseeable future is going to be laced throughout the entirety of our society. I mean, this is, you know, we, 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 we talked, you know, back... 20 years ago in the 90s, we talked about, you know, entering the the information age and the information superhighway, but we didn't really, really start to do that until today. I mean, you know, when you start seeing just how prevalent uh, software is in our lives, I mean, go anywhere in any Western country and just stand in any spot. And I guarantee you there is some bit of technology that is within, and by technology, I mean silicon-based technology, within 100 feet of you. I mean, you know, as you stand in your office, as you stand even outside where there are sensors and you have your cell phone on you, and, you know, there's, there's little bits of technology everywhere. There's probably a wireless tower somewhere within a mile of you, the whole nine yards. And that is, you know, deeply pervading every fiber of our civilization at this point. And that carries with it a huge number of risks. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of stuff going on here that we just don't understand. The law of unintended consequences is is rearing its ugly head in so many ways. I mean, the most recent US election being the, mo- the best example, the VW uh, air emissions scandal being another example. Um, but even just... There was an article that just crossed my desk uh, from medium.com, somebody writing basically the internet is, some, something on the internet is broken, and not not the XKCD comic, but he's pointing out that there are literally hundreds, if not thousands of YouTube channels that are doing sort of algorithmic analysis of which channels are being most popular, and they're creating some truly bizarre video content that that you know kids are finding online. And it's like, wow, how did we get here? There are some algorithmically designed t-shirts that are generating some absolutely horrible slogans. Um, And you're just like, wait, who approved this? And it wasn't. It wasn't any human that said, this is what we should do. It was machines deciding these things. I mean, there's one story just recently. It was either Microsoft or Google actually shut down a couple of chatbots that learned how to speak an entirely different language to one another. Somehow they machine learned their way into creating their own language. The Apple iOS 11 release, right? The the auto learning, the machine learning that's part of the keyboard, 
that has now got everybody going, wait, when I want to type an A, I get an I followed by an unpronounceable character, and it machine learned that? Where did it learn that? How did it learn that? This, this is just the tip of the iceberg. For all that we see technology everywhere today, this is just the tip of the iceberg. We've got so many layers that we're going to be peeling back for generations beyond me. And if you want to make a career in this, oh boy, there's lots of room for you. Lots and lots and lots of room. Yep. Okay, we're going to go into the reveal round now. Are you ready for this? Uh, sure. Do I get to phone a friend? Not quite, no. Oh, oh, dang it. All right, let's see where, let's see how I do. So what first attracted you to a career in IT? <laughs> um, actually, it was my dad. <laughs> so when I was seven years old, now bear in mind, this was 1978. Uh, my dad came home with an Apple II Plus with 48K of RAM and a uh, uh, actually th that was it, right? We we didn't even have floppy disk drives because those were kind of expensive at the time. So we used the uh, cassette recorder to uh, to play various games and stuff. And he showed me AppleSoft Basic. And for whatever reason, I mean, I never really considered at that point in time. wasn't until college that I really thought about programming as a career. But all through, you know, grade school, junior high school, high school. Um, I was looking at programming. I was writing a couple of things, you know, mostly games, because when you're that age, you're all about writing computer games. Um, and didn't even occur to me, uh, until actually a college roommate double dog dared me to go interview for a position that I really thought about the idea of making a living as a programmer, because it, it, it may surprise a ton of people, but back in the 70s and 80s, you know, computers, they were kind of seen as this recreational tool by the the, the geeks, the guys you picked on in high school. Um, nowhere near the idea of, you know, industry revolutionizing disruption was not a thing back then. Nobody had any idea how big it was going to be. Um, so, you know, it was a curiosity that led to experimentation, that led to reward, that led to more curiosity, that led to more experimentation, that led to more reward. Until next thing I know, people are willing to give me money to do this. I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. How did this happen? So, What is the best career advice you've ever received? Best career advice I've ever received. You know, um, it would be, there was a time when I worked for a guy by the name of Mike Cohn, uh, people who study scrum will actually run across his name and his company, Mountain Goat Software fairly quickly because Mike is a very well-known, uh, scrum instructor. And the pithy thing I like to say is that my, I worked for Mike before either of us was famous. And, uh, at one point, uh, Mike and I had, you know, I was working as a contractor and Mike wanted to hire me full time. We couldn't agree on salary. And Mike's comment to a friend of mine was what Ted really needs to do is fail twice. And the first failure was that logging incident that I mentioned, which happened about six months after I left working for Mike. Uh, second one was another company I worked for later where uh, it was more of a uh, interactive fail with my boss there from the standpoint that I built something that was a little bit more flexible, not, not as super flexible, 
but it was a system designed for taking different input, transforming it and and spitting it out as output. In this case, taking something in over a serial port and spitting it out through an RPC call. And we had discussed the idea that maybe, you know, it would be a good idea to build it in such a way that it would be useful, you know, to be able to take other kinds of input and be able to do other kinds of output. Great. So I built that. But she and I did not get along on a personal level. And that was really my second failure, which got back to Mike's point, which is to say the first time you fail, it's really easy to blame somebody else. It's really easy to say, oh, that wasn't my fault. It was because they didn't blah, blah, blah. But the second time you fail, particularly when they come one right after the other, it kind of forces you to take a look in the mirror and say, okay, wait, where's where's the common aspect to both of these failures? And when you realize that the common aspect is staring back at you out of the mirror, then you start doing a really necessary bit of reflection and self-examination and say, all right, wait, what, what, what can I do better? Maybe it's not just about being the smartest C++ programmer in the room. Maybe there's something else to this career thing that, you know, is a necessary bit of reflection that every, every, every professional regardless of, of career, every professional needs to go through at some point before they can really begin to get better at their job. If you were to begin your IT career again right now, what would you do? Hmm. Write code. I mean, it's pithy, but write code. Uh, you know, one of the things I teach right now, I teach mobile development for the University of Washington as a guest lecturer. And one of the things I have the students do is uh, all of the grade is based off of homework and a group final project that I have them do. There's no tests, there's no quizzes, because part of what I want them to do is write code, just write a crap ton of code. Uh, All of the code I have them put up onto GitHub, that's the official way to turn homework into me, is to put it up on GitHub so that I can clone the project and build it and make sure it runs and you know apply the grading rubric and all that good stuff. Uh, But write code, put it up on GitHub, so that when you go into an interview room and somebody says, effectively, tell us why we should hire you, then you say, because I know how to write code and here's half a dozen to a dozen different small projects. In my case, it's iOS or Android because that's what I'm having my students build. Um, here's half a dozen to a dozen projects that show that, you know, yes, I can write code. And some of these are going to be trivial exa- examples. Here's Hello World great, but some of them are going to be a little bit more, uh, you know, more complex and they're going to have to deal with certain scenarios that wouldn't necessarily come up as part of a homework assignment, for example, you know, so look around you, look at some of the problems that you or your family are dealing with. Um, one of the things, for example, uh, that I built as a, a sort of a prelude to a homework assignment when I was prepping the materials is I built a magic, the gathering life counter, Right, because my family, we like to play games, and we actually do have about thirty some odd Magic: The Gathering decks that we share as a family, and so just wanted a simple little counter that let us keep track of everybody's life totals. Right, basically keeping score. Um, you know, I have similar uh, to do items to build a hearts. You know, the card game hearts and spades, uh, spade scorers for both of those. Uh, 
<clears throat> my big problem right now is a finding the time and b i keep coming up with new feature ideas before <laughs> i'm actually finished working on the code feature creep is a problem kids it's not just what it's not just what managers do it happens to us developers too so what career objectives are you focusing on right now I think I mentioned earlier, I uh, made the transition into management. Um, part of that is because I want to be able to create uh, an environment where people working for me can be successful. Part of that is because for about five or six years now, I'd kind of come to realize that there's, there's a gap. There's a lot of, I mean, I think it's not surprising to say there's a lot of bad management out there. But I think more importantly, there's not really a focus on what does good technical management look like and what do we need to tell managers in order to make them into good technical managers. So that's kind of where my focus has been over the last five years is getting into more of the management space, figuring out the management scenario. What do managers actually do with their time? Um, how do they leverage that? How can, how can a manager become kind of a force multiplier so that the team actually is more effective, uh, for having this person as a manager, as opposed to less, that sort of thing. What's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? Number one, non-technical skill. Um, Honestly, I'd have to say it's the the grounding I got in college on philosophy. Um, a lot of the a lot of the stuff that I did as an international relations major was looking at a situation and analyzing it uh, from a number of different angles and so forth. And a lot of that is rooted in very ancient philosophical principles. Um, you know, epistemology, metaphysics, all of that stuff. What do I know? How do I know it? How do I know that what I know is correct? Uh, what is the definition of correct here, et cetera, et cetera? You see a lot of that when you get into the agile community too. You know, what's when, when do we know what's done? That kind of thing. Yeah. So, can you share a parting piece of career advice with the IT career energizer audience? Um, two things. Number one, um, you know. There will be times in your career where you're going to feel like, I just can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe nobody has called me out for being an idiot. I have no idea what I'm doing, and I can't believe nobody else can see this. I mean, today, everybody calls that imposter syndrome. But in some cases, I think there's a deeper issue here, which is to say even people who know what they're doing often feel like, wow, I feel so overwhelmed. I feel like this problem may be larger than me. They're not imposters. They, they genuinely know what they're doing, but there's still that feeling of, wow, this is bigger than me and I'm not sure if I can handle this. And um, really the, the, the reassurance there is everybody feels that way at some point in their life. If you were to get Anders Halsberg, the guy who invented the C-sharp programming language, and you were to get Brian Gatz, who's currently the Java language architect, and Bjarne Strustrup, and um, you know, there's a couple other people, Eric Meyer, who a lot of people don't know, but he's actually a, um, a, a language researcher, a big concept idea guy uh, who worked at Microsoft for a while and is now teaching back in his native Denmark. 
um, a lot of the concepts that we see in the .NET world are echoing concepts that Eric had actually been talking about a decade and a half ago. All of these guys at some point or another have looked around and gone, wow, I just don't know. I just don't know if what I'm doing here is right. I just don't know if what I'm doing here is going to yield the best results because human, we're all human. We all have these moments where we stop, we ask ourselves, is this really something that I want to, you know, is this really where I'm going? Is this really the right answer? Is this really the right thing for me to be doing, et cetera? We all of us feel that way at some point and, you know, acknowledge it, embrace it. It means you're human. Awesome. And then keep going. Just keep going. Find mentors. And that's my second piece of advice. Find mentors. Yes. Find people that are, you know, smarter than you by whatever definition of that phrase you want to use and ask them to help you. It may actually come as a deep surprise to a lot of people uh, new in the industry that, you know, oh, well, I don't, I don't want to bug you. I don't want to annoy you. Look, I'll tell you when you're bugging me. I'll tell you when it's too much. It's okay to come up and say, I don't know what to do next. Can you give me some suggestions? Do your homework. Don't get me wrong. Nobody wants to spoon feed you answers. Do your homework. But at the same time, it's perfectly acceptable. We've all been in a position where, you know, we each have said, I'm not sure what to do next. And can you please give me some advice? And, you know, I, I would be doing a disservice to those people who did that to me if I didn't pass that on to a generation following me. Um, and I think every senior developer who reaches a point in their career where they can see the next generation behind them has felt exactly that same way. There are a few, you know, few people out there who are absolutely convinced that the sun rises and sets around them. Yeah, you're going to run across those people you know, ignore them and move on. 80%, I will say, of the industry, 80% of the people out there will say, absolutely, I would love to give you some advice, you know, for whatever it's worth. This is what I think. And finally, what's the best way we can find out more about you and potentially connect with you? So I'm online a fair amount, uh, Twitter, uh, at Ted Neward, all one word. Um, I'm on, uh, LinkedIn, although I tend not to socialize as much up there and use that. Um, I use that for, you know, posting blog posts and some other, uh, more formal kinds of communication. Um, I go to a lot of conferences. Um, I'm speaking at a number of shows and, you know, starting to schedule out the 2018 calendar year, uh, in terms of conferences that I'll be at. Um, and um, I have a couple of courses on um, LinkedIn, LinkedIn Learning, uh, formerly lynda.com. So I've got some online stuff, some .NET stuff there. Um, you know, in general, worst case, drop me an email, tedatednewer.com. I can't promise that I will respond uh, super fast all the time, but I do try to respond at least to say, hey, you know, uh, I don't have it. I don't have time to respond, but I can try to catch up to you later. Or here's some places you may want to go look to find uh, some additional information, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I you know I do try to respond to whatever messages I come in, I get in. At the same time, if you email me asking me to help you with your homework, probably not, because you know as a university professor, I do have a certain sensitivity to people doing that. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, you know. If for whatever reason you don't get a hold of me, there's a lot of other technologists out there 
Uh, and, you know, Twitter and Facebook and all these social media tools make it much, much easier to get at the human side of a number of these folks for good or for ill. I mean, in some cases, what this has led us to realize is that, you know, people are human and have opinions. So, for example, people who are staunchly conservative in their political opinion may not like some of the things that I say. And that's fine. You, Everyone's entitled to have their own opinions on things, politics and whatnot, uh, as long as you understand that, you know, if you disagree with me, you're wrong. The end. So. Great. Ted, thanks so much for joining me on the IT Career Energizer podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. It's been great chatting with you too, sir. My thanks to Ted for being such a great guest on this week's show. You can find full show notes on the website at itcareerenergizer.com slash e37. In next week's episode, I'll be talking with Kay Scott Allen, a Pluralsight course creator, a host on the podcast Herding Code, a published author and a conference speaker. If you haven't done so already, please remember to subscribe to the podcast to get future episodes automatically downloaded to your device. And remember, if you're not growing your career, you're slowing your career. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.